Morning. Morning Zoom. So, I have very big. So, excuse me for turning pages. Okay. Before I begin my talk, I would like to thank Galen Roshi for the opportunity to give this talk. When Galen has invited me to give a Dharma talk, a slew of emotions go through my mind. I'm first terrified, <laughs> then honored. After that comes, I have no idea what to talk about. <laughs> I still feel as a beginner, having been a Zen practitioner for 10 years now, there's so much that I don't know, and I continuously learning. So after all these thoughts exhausted themselves, I knew that in the end, I would be thankful for this opportunity. With humbleness and a position of perpetual learning, I offer to share with you some of my, what continues to be my practice. So today I want to talk about working with causes and conditions. About eight months ago, I read this line in the book, Silent Illumination. By Wu, and it reads, to recognize the working of causes and conditions, adapt, wait, and create the right conditions to change is to practice. Whether in daily life or in meditation, the world of form operates through causes and conditions. Causes and conditions are about relationships, relationships with ourselves, other people, ideas, actions, our surroundings, and the relationship with our perception of reality. I became a grandmother six years ago, and I've had the joy of spending time with my grandchildren. I have five grandchildren, now ages 17 months to six years. What has been fascinating for me is to watch them, observe them, and be amazed at how they learn about their surroundings. Watch how they learn to identify with what is mine. Watch how their personality and sense of self emerges. I watch my grandchildren as they learn to communicate non-verbally at the beginning, with cries mostly. I have learned that sign language is particularly helpful in teaching babies to communicate. They can sign before they can speak, and it gives them a real sense that they are understood. Babies have no perception of time. We as adults talk about yesterday, what we did, what we experienced, and what we plan for tomorrow. But the only reality for a baby is the current moment and the next moment. A baby experiences each moment in the present without concepts. So we start out with this innate capability to experience the present without words or concepts. Although how we experience each moment in recollection is a perception of what really happened, a construct, a selective self-referential memory. I think most of us have had a time when we have had a shared experience with others, but each of us remember it so differently and from such a different perspective. This is because we remember things according to how it affected our sense of self at the time, how it meshed with what we know and have experienced so far in our lives. But before babies can think with words, how do they think? What does that mean without concepts? What is a concept? The meaning of a concept is an idea of what something is 
or how it works. Essentially, a concept is an idea, something we have constructed through our various experiences of what that object or person or a time or any perception of a thing, not its complex reality or the thing in itself. A baby has not had the experiences to formulate a solid or fixed idea of each of their experiences yet. According to Mahayana Buddhism, we have eight consciousness, the six sense bases or consciousness, starting with mind consciousness, which is ideas, notions, or thoughts, and the five physical senses, eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and touch consciousness. The seventh is manas, which is the survival instinct of a self, and the eighth is store consciousness. Our seventh consciousness, the sense of self, is being formed with each new experience. As an adult, we're constantly chatting to ourselves. We judge ourselves, we discriminate, we criticize, we analyze, we assess. We have this internal dialogue that we identify with, what we think, we believe is reality, but is it? Or could it be just a compilation of the continued experiences of our self-referential perceptions? Each of us lives in our own made up world, the world that is made up of our unique individual experiences and perceptions of these experiences. In my quest to understand how the mind works, <clears throat> how causes and conditions work, and how our individual world is shaped by our experiences and perceptions, I've been reflecting on the meaning and definition of consciousness, awareness, and knowing. They are interrelated. I will try to exemplify or describe each state of mind with this story. The time my daughter and I drove to San Diego, called road trip to San Diego. <laughs> my daughter had recently moved from San Diego to Houston, but she had left her belongings in the storage unit in San Diego. So after some time, we decided to go back to San Diego and bring her belongings to Houston. We rented a 12-foot enclosed trailer that we attached to the hitch of my SUV. It's cheaper to rent in Houston and drop off in Houston than to rent in San Diego and drop off in Houston, by the way. <laughs> so we rented in Houston and we were on our way to San Diego. One of the things that I didn't know is that when you're pulling a trailer, you literally have to get gas one and a half hours. <laughs> After stopping many times to get gas, on one occasion, my credit card was not being accepted at the pump. It was very noisy at this gas station. It, had, it was a huge gas station with a lot of 18-wheeler trucks there. So I got back inside the car to call the credit card company to find out what was going on. I was a little irritated for the inconvenience. <laughs> I got it squared away, letting them know, yes, it was me, using the credit card a bunch of times to get gas. <laughs> I went outside and started popping the gas and went back inside the car to wait for my daughter. My daughter had gone inside the gas station to get a couple of things. After my daughter got back in the car, I was concerned about finding my way out of this gas station. The way back to the highway was confusing. I had very bad internal compass and had anxiety over trying to find the exit with this big trailer behind me and try to avoid any situation where I would have to back up. <laughs> For those of you who have ever pulled a trailer and have little experience, 
You know how stressful backing a trailer can be. <laughs> it is counterintuitive and you can easily back up in the wrong direction. I finally found my way back to the highway without having to back up. I was relieved. I was entering the ramp to get back on the highway. We heard a few loud honks from one of the trucks. And I said to my daughter, hmm, wonder who they're honking at. <laughs> to which my daughter replied, I think they're honking at you, mom. I said, I don't think so. Why would they be honking at me? <clears throat> After about a mile, we heard sirens wailing. And I said, what's going on? My daughter looked behind us from the side mirror and said, mom, pull over. There's a cop car behind you. I think they're trying to stop you. I was incredulous. I said, no, they're not. They can't be. I'm not even speeding. She insisted. Yes, mom. They're right behind us. Pull over. Reluctantly, I said, okay. So I pulled over and the policewoman got out of the cop car and came to my daughter's side of the window and asked, <laughs> Man, were you aware that you had the guest pap still connected to your car? <laughs> I was such in such disbelief that I quickly jumped out of my car, went around to the passenger of the car to see, by the way. Something that you are not supposed to do is get out of the car when the policewoman is trying to talk to you. <laughs> but I was so shocked that I had to go see for myself. And sure enough, the gas pump and long strings of the pump were dangling from my car. <laughs> so extremely embarrassed, I gingerly took the pump out of the gas pump, <laughs> handed it to her, and I said, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I didn't need to do that. <laughs> she was actually very nice. So she says, well, you'll have to follow me back to the gas station and pay for that pump that you took off. So I followed her back to the gas station and paid for the pump. It cost $60. Lesson learned. Always check that you have placed the pump back before you leave the gas station. <laughs> back to consciousness, awareness, and knowledge. So I was conscious, meaning... I was not unconscious or asleep during this experience, driving, talking, and reasoning. I thought I was aware of my surroundings, but as exemplified, we only have awareness of what we put attention to. I was putting attention to driving, fear of not being able to find my way out of the gas station, fear of having to back up a 12-foot trailer, going the wrong way, so much so that I lost sight of a lot of other things that were taking place. I had selective awareness. And finally, had knowledge of the whole situation when I came out and saw the pump sticking out of my car, only then did the pieces of my experience fit together with the reality. Obviously, there was still a lot that was taking place that I still have no knowledge of, but I did acknowledge that I had driven away from the gas station with the pump dangling out of my gas tank. Because my mind was elsewhere, other than in the present moment, I did not put attention to making sure I had put the pump back on the holder. To really know something is to have direct experience, not just concepts or perception. To have a perception, an idea of diving out of, out of an airplane is not the same as actually diving out of an airplane. You can conceptualize what it's like, but unless you actually dive from an airplane, you really don't know it in your bones. So you can be conscious, but not aware, and you can be conscious and aware, but not know. It seems at times that we live in this world like a puppet, 
going from one thing to the next without putting real attention to what is going on, how things happen, how we find ourselves in certain situations. So we practice Zazen, sitting meditation, to help us train our mind to be more in tune with things as they really are in the present moment. We can sit in Zazen and put attention to our body, using our senses to ground us in the present moment and noting the arising of thoughts and the disappearance of thoughts, one after the other, the impermanence of each thought, not identifying with each thought, not captured, held hostage by each stream of thoughts. Thoughts do not stop. If they did, we would be in a coma. The goal is not to stop the thinking mind, but to honor its value and its function. We need the mind to navigate this world. We need it to differentiate between hot and cold, high and low, good and bad outcomes, the duality of this world. We need the discriminating mind for our continued existence. <clears throat> we need the mind to understand causes and conditions. This exists because that exists. So reading this paragraph by Guo Wu to recognize the working of causes and conditions, adapt and wait for the opportunities to, and create the right conditions to change is practice, was a gateway to better understand causes and conditions. First, to recognize means to look deeply into how we're all interrelated, how a cause is a result and the result is a cause. A thought can be a precursor to spoken words or actions. Everything we do has consequences or is a cause to something. Spoken words have consequences and actions bear the heaviest weight in reactions. In Understanding Your Mind, a book by Thich Nhat Hanh, he gives an explanation of how phenomena or things manifest, how they come to be. He writes, the manifestation only teachings and other schools of Buddhism have described four conditions for the manifestation of all phenomena. The first is cause as a condition. Even though the cause itself is limiting, the result can nevertheless be significant. A single grain of wheat gives rise to an entire wheat plant. The single grain of wheat is the cause. The second condition is condition of development. There are two kinds of conditions for development, those favorable for development and those that hinder development. Sunshine, rain, and soil can either help or not help a grain of wheat become a wheat plant, depending on the timing, amount, and quality of each. If it rains too much or at the wrong time, the plant will not flourish. Not all unfavorable conditions, however, bring about an unwholesome result. Perhaps we're on the brink of making a mistake, but thanks to unfavorable conditions, we avoid doing something destructive. In this case, the so-called adverse conditions were actually beneficial. They hinder the development of a harmful action. An obstacle may play the role of supporting cause. Sometimes when a condition seems to be unfavorable, we may think of it as an obstacle, but these unfavorable conditions may give us more wisdom 
and strength later on in order to succeed. If a human does not encounter difficulties, he or she will not grow to maturity. What are favorable conditions for human beings to grow in understanding? Reb Anderson says, relating to people with excessive involvement or insufficient involvement brings unhappiness. And relating to people with the proper amount of involvement brings happiness. Caring too much or too little for others is not really caring. When we ignore the people before us or care excessively for them, it is really self-concerned. The third condition is object as, con as condition. Object here means the object of perception. Without that object, there is no perception. Subject and object are dependent on each other. The subject is dependent on the object. The fourth condition is the condition of, of immediate continuity. Every manifestation of a phenomenon needs continuity or it is cut off. The flower of this moment needs the flower of the previous moment in order to exist. Nothing can exist without immediate continuity. If a phenomenon did not exist in a previous moment, it could not exist in the succeeding moment. Every formation, every manifestation of a phenomenon needs at least these four conditions in order to occur. The primary cause, the object cause, the supporting cause, and the immediacy of continuity. These four conditions of the manifestation of phenomenon describe how things come to be. So if we recognize how this works, we can support the right conditions and let go of the conditions that do not serve our purpose. Next, adapt. To adapt to conditions means you're flexible to changes. You understand that nothing is permanent and things change. People change, seasons change, our body changes. <clears throat> we are not the same person we were 10 years ago. Biologically, we change with each experience. A child changes with each new experience. Next is to wait. To wait is especially difficult for some of us. And although it may be perceived as inaction, it is still an action. It is a response. Waiting takes training. In sitting zazen, one trains to be still. It can be a practice of waiting or resting. Waiting or pausing allows time for higher regions of the brain to process information so that you respond instead of react. And for an extended period of waiting, you allow for causes and conditions to unfold or ripen so that you can see it more clearly. You learn to know when is the right time to do something, to say something, or for example, to turn off the burner when the food is cooked. Thich Han writes, we are all born with stored consciousness, the seeds we inherit from our parents and grandparents and ancestors. Maturation or ripening is another way of describing stored consciousness. A seed always needs the right amount of time and the conditions in order to ripen and bring forth fruit. When it matures or ripens, a seed transforms into a form or being that is the true manifestation of its qualities. An orange blossom produces an orange. Similarly, an act needs time in order to ripen. Our actions, what we say, think, and do 
need time to mature. The ripening of phenomena happens in three ways. Ripening at different time, for example, if we have strawberries, yellow bananas in the heart of a cattle, they will ripen at different times. The seeds that our parents, grandparents, and friends sow and water in us always ripen sooner or later. There's no need to ask, why am I not transformed when I have studied so much? Each seed ripens at its own time. Ripening at different varieties. An unripe banana becomes a ripe banana, not a ripe avocado. Ripening and changing. When something ripens, many of its aspects change completely. An unripe orange is green and sour. A ripe one is orange and sweet. This is waiting for conditions to ripen. Change happens over time. The last, creating the right causes and conditions. This to me was what seemed to be the most difficult to do. Let's first examine the word create. How does one create? Do we make something out of nothing? What does create mean really? I used to have the perception that creating meant that you made something out of nothing, but to create really is transforming something into something else. For example, in making this rakasu, you take the fabric, which already has been transformed from other things, and cut it into a pattern. You assemble it with the help of needles, thread, your fingers, and the help of a sewing teacher. And this is your creation. Now you have created something, or have you just transformed a few things? The same thing will be true in creating or transforming the causes and conditions of your life. How does one go about creating or transforming their causes and conditions? It takes a lot of effort and time. We're usually comfortable with taking the path of least resistance, sometimes staying with what we're accustomed to, even if it's toxic, is easier than making the change we need. We can reach out to others for help. We can allow ourselves to be vulnerable. We can let others see our weaknesses. We can allow ourselves to fail and fail again. With each failure, we gain understanding of causes and conditions if we are open to it. It starts first by making a conscious decision to want to transform your conditions, then to be determined and diligent not to give up when faced with failures or disappointments. This quote from the platform scripture as explained by Guogu, good friends, what is meditative concentration? Externally to transcend characteristics is meditation. Internally, to be undisturbed is called concentration. This passage says that meditation means not to be externally swayed by causes and conditions and not to be internally disturbed by our thoughts and feelings. But to do this, we have to first become aware of what's going on inside us, how we're projecting our own standards, ideals, and expectations onto the world of form. So no thought is intimately connected to no form. How we feel inside is how we relate to others outside. We externalize our internal habits. What is no thought or no mind? 
It means to be open to new ideas and less rigid about our, our own opinions. Know that each idea and thought that we have right now is subject to change. It has no fixed reality. It will transform into another idea once new information is received. If you're not open, though, you're stuck. You have closed some doors to your capability to experience the complexity of the nature of reality. Then comes the question, what can we change and what we can't change? Flowers and garbage. Flower and garbage are images Tignahan uses to describe the interdependent nature of ignorance and awakening. We usually think that awakening has nothing to do with ignorance, but if there were no ignorance and confusion, there would not be awakening. Ignorance is the ground from which awakening is cultivated. If you try to throw away this, to be able to find that, you will never find what you're searching for. That can only be found in this. The Buddha advises us not to run away from anything in order to run towards something else. In fact, Buddhism is the practice of aimlessness, of having no goal. If we are pure, calm, and clear in our mind, we're already in the pure land. Ignorance and awakening are interdependent. If we're about to die of thirst, and someone brings us a glass of muddy water, we know we have to find a way of filtering it in order to survive. We can't just throw it away. That water, even though it is not pure, is our only hope of salvation. In the same way, we have to accept all of our afflictions, our mental formations, all the difficulties in the world, our body and our mind in order to transform them. If we reject them, if we try to run away from them, we will never succeed. There's no escaping the things we hate. We can only transform them into what we love. We must accept what is here and now, including our suffering and our delusion. Accepting our suffering and delusion already brings us some peace and joy. We accept what is, what is in the present moment in order to have a deep perspective and capacity to transform our circumstance. How can we transform our current circumstances if we do not accept them? Can we transform them? Non-acceptance is usually denial. In our stored consciousness is a wonderful seed called mindfulness, mm -hmm. the capacity to be aware of what is happening in the present moment. That seed may be weak because we seldom water it, we do not eat mindfully, we do not walk mindfully, we do not look at and speak to people mindfully. Although our seed of mindfulness may be weak, it can grow quickly if we practice doing things mindfully. The Buddha taught his followers to recite the five remembrances every day. I am of the nature to grow old. There is no way to escape growing old. I am of the nature to have ill health. There is no way to escape having ill health. I am of the nature to die. There is no way to escape death. All that is dear to me and everyone I love are, the nature to have, are of the nature to change. There is no way to escape being separated from them. My actions are my only true belongings. I cannot escape the consequences of my actions. My actions are the ground on which I stand. 
The practice of the five remembrances helps us face our fears directly and not see them as enemies. They are us, our happiness, our suffering, our love, and our anger are all us. We treat all mental formations in the same way, in the spirit of non-duality. In Buddhism, we see both sides of ourselves, right and wrong, and we try to accept and look after all parts of ourselves, recognizing their interdependent nature. What can we do to transform our deep Buddhist seeds of suffering? There are three ways. The first way is that we allow them to lie quietly in our store consciousness while we sow seeds and nourish seeds of existing peace, joy, and happiness. Our mind consciousness sends these seeds of peace and joy down to interact with the seeds of suffering and transform them. This is indirect transformation. The second way is our continuous practice of mindfulness that allows us to recognize seeds of suffering when they arise. Every time seeds of suffering manifest as mental formations in our mind consciousness, we bathe them in the light of mindfulness. When they are in contact with mindfulness, they weaken. Without mindfulness, we aren't even able to recognize them. Putting them in touch with mindfulness transforms them. The third way to deal with afflictions that have been with us since childhood is to deliberately invite them up into our mind consciousness. If we were wounded as a child, the seeds of suffering we received are still with us today. When our mindfulness is strong and stable, we don't have to wait the seeds of suffering to rise unexpectedly. You know, they're lying there in the basement of our store consciousness, and we invite them up into our mind consciousness. But before we can invite them up, seeds of sadness, despair, regrets, and longings that were difficult for us to touch, we must be sure that the lamp of our mindfulness is lit and that its light is steady and strong. But someone who is suffering greatly and does not know how to practice mindfulness should not start out practicing the third way. We should first practice nourishing and giving rise to the seeds of happiness. Dealing with suffering is like handling a poisonous snake. We have to learn about the snake, and we ourselves have to grow stronger and more stable in order to handle it without harming ourselves. A bodhisattva knows how to transform his garbage into flowers. He's no longer afraid of his garbage. In conclusion, we use our ordinary mind to recognize how causes and conditions manifest. We use mindfulness to adapt to the changes that we can see and cannot see. We practice zazen and learn to wait for the seeds we have planted to ripen and nourish us. And we surround ourselves with the sangha to help create the right causes and conditions to change our lives.